Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, so I get this, and that is why I started Alzheimer Speaks. It's about raising everyone's voice around the world from those living with the disease to family members, researchers, people who have services, products, and tools. We have authors, we have musicians, movie directors, all types of advocates, and maybe, just maybe you can be our next guest. Just feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. If you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Now, before we get into our conversation today, I always like to do a few shout outs. And so first I want to give a shout out to Dementia Map. Dementia Map is a creation with myself and Dave Wiedrich, who is the founder of the Memory Cafe directory. And Dementia Map is a resource directory with over 150 categories you can search. We've broken them down into seven easy categories. There's also a calendar of events that has lots of free things that you can participate and get yourself educated through, as well as a glossary, because we know you don't know what you don't know when when, uh, dementia comes and knocks on your door. There's also a blog that has uh, wonderful articles as well. So go to DementiaMath.com and um, check it out. Let me know what you think. And if you are a service provider um, or have some information you would like to share on the site, just reach out to me and I will make sure that you get all set up on that. Now, you might not have heard of Picnic Health. Picnic Health is a Alzheimer's uh, research study and it's really easy to do. What they do is they, they collect and digitize all of your Um, medical records into one online account, and then you can consent permission for them to share anonymized data of your records. And then medical researchers can kind of go in and dig around and find out what's going on in the real world. And they can get information that they wouldn't have normally gotten from just a regular trial. And for doing this, you'll get $25. So you can go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and sign up today. And if you are caring for someone with Alzheimer's disease, you can sign them up as well, as long as you have legal authority to do that. Again, just go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and pick up your $25 and push that research forward. Now with the pandemic still going on, I know people are in need of support. And so Arthur Senior Care continues to sponsor our memory cafe, Arthur's Memory Cafe, which is for people with dementia and their care partners. And we do that twice a month on the second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central. So that would be two o'clock Eastern, noon Mountain Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. 
We are doing that virtually during COVID. And so you are more than welcome to join us. Also, if you're in Minnesota, I do a Caregiver Connect program, and that is sponsored by Brookdale North Oaks and the Shoreview Parks and Rec Center. And we meet at the Shoreview Community Center the last Wednesday of each month from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Time. Now, the last two months, we have gone virtual. So um, if that's of interest to you, reach out to me because we will definitely let you know where things are sitting regarding that. Next, we're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and they are experts on senior care. And they're going to highlight for us why they think the Footbar Walker is such an excellent tool. So we'll hear from them and we'll be right back with our guest. I love the Footbar Walker and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, so we're back and we are going to talk today about burdens, treatments, and potential cures for dementia with Haim Ismal, and he is a German medical doctor and scientist. And by heart and experience and enthusiasm, he has written a book, which I'm going to say the title in English, and I'll let him say the title in German, is Suffer and Laugh. Um, which we're going to discuss today. In addition, um, we will get uh, Heim's thoughts about burdens of care and thoughts of treatment and potential cure. And let me tell you, he is at the center of this with his own family as well. So Heim's, I'm so excited to have you with us today. I said the title of your book in English, Suffer and Laugh, and I'm going to let you go ahead and tell them the title in German, because I didn't want to crucify the, the name in German, which I was sure I was going to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to be in your show today. Yes, the, the title of my book, I would take the booklet. It's not, it's not 300 pages. It's less. It's around about 100. So it's short, but I hope uh, it gives a good overview about all that, what might be important for sufferers and, and um, family members. So in German, the, the title is Alzheimer Demenz, Leiden and Lachen. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. 
Um, now, before we get started, I always ask everybody if they have been touched personally by dementia in their own family and circle of friends. And so I haven't given anything away. Um, I just told them that you have definitely been touched and I would let you go ahead and summarize that for us. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you very much, Lori. Yes, uh, if you have, have would ask me some nine, nine months ago, I would say I've never been in contact. So I know quite quite a lot of people, friends, um, colleagues, which have family members, which have friends, or who have friends who, who suffer from dementia, or in most cases, Alzheimer's, but I was never affected or involved. But this changed rapidly um, in last spring, when I was informed that my mother was diagnosed or has diagnosed Alzheimer's. And then all, all started. And it does just kind of all start, you know, once you, once it hits, there's kind of no going back, you know, yeah. with that diagnosis and all the pieces kind of start falling together in the, in the puzzle that may have been a little bit confusing um, prior to. So thank you for, for sharing that. You know, you've, you've written this workbook and did this come out of your dealings, you know, with your, with your own parents? Yes, yes, it, it, it came. So um, you, you know, I'm I'm a, a doctor by profession, mm -hmm. so I, I have had a professional contact with, with patients who, who have suffered from Alzheimer's. But this was again, this was professional, and it's not my specific task. Uh, by by profession, I'm a pulmonologist um, and allergologist. Now working since around about twenty five years in pharma industry in pharmacovigilance, um, and, and there have been contacts, but again, this was totally unemotional. This was rational, this was professional. Mm -hmm. and, and then, yeah, let's say we can say out of the blue, I, I got the, the information um, that my, my mother was diagnosed Alzheimer's, and then, Yes, I was. I was really thinking why you didn't solve this in advance. I mean, um, I have I have to say that the last time I have seen my mother before was around about one year, and this was only for a few hours. And my mother is eighty years old now, and yes, she's not sixty, she's not seventy, she's eighty. So you think this this is normal aging? But then it turned out it's not. Yes, and then I was yeah, confronted with quite a lot of things to do, to think about. And um, yes, I had, um, yes, from today's point of perspective, I would say I had the chance to learn quite a lot. I had to in a very short period of time. And even um, organize how to, how to learn in a short period of time as much as possible. It's interesting when a lot of us are in the business of healthcare and you, you know about it, but when it hits your own family, um, everyone says it's really different. Did you feel that too? Yes, totally. So I have to admit that I'm, no one of my friends would say I'm an emotional type. Mm -hmm. They would say, okay, um, he's a funny guy sometimes, but he's very rational. Uh, but if you are exposed to it and involved personally, uh, you change your role. 
So I, I was not a doctor. Um, suddenly I was the son of a mother diagnosed with Alzheimer. And then to come back, to try to look from outside in. And uh, what, what I did um, after a few weeks when I saw oh, it's really hard to, to handle that from an emotional perspective, from all the things I had to do and I had no experience in, I, I call it my project Alzheimer. Because in business, um, I'm used to make projects. And a project, uh, or one of the project definitions I, I very much like is a project is something innovative with a clear target you have never, never done before. And you should um, target very clearly what you want to do and time and resources. And that's it. I mean, in daily life, exactly that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for you, I, you know, I like that you termed it innovative. You want to do something different um, and you wanted to target something very specific. Let's talk first about from your perspective, what was the biggest burden um, to you and your family and to your mom as well regarding Alzheimer's and dementia? And were those different for different people? Yeah. Um, yes, I think it's not, I think it's not that, okay. On one hand, it's very easy to, to answer that. On the other hand, it's not because there were such a lot of moments, emotional moments, and, and, and I think this, this is the first burden. So the first hurdle is to, yes, really to accept the diagnosis. It's not, it's not only a cold or it's not even a pneumonia. It's, it's even not, let's say, cancer, where you in most cases can do something. So there is a, you, you might have a chance to, to influence, to work for better situation of the patient. And so, first of all, suddenly the patient, I will still call my mother a patient for me, just from my profession, um, she's not only a patient, she's your mother. And this, on one hand, makes it very easy for all your efforts to do. On the other hand, I personally try wherever possible to, to step back and to look from outside, not being too much involved. And thus, this was, as I would say, the, I would say it's, it's, it's a kind of a burden, it's a hurdle. And it becomes easier when I accept that she has a dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's or not, it's, it's not it might be somewhat academic, but at the end, it's, it's the symptomatic she had, or she has. And in addition, also the situation of my father, who is, or was at that time, 86 years old, so even not a young man. Um, they were around about 60 years together. And um, for him, it was also a very difficult situation which then, and this turned out some weeks ago, we talked before, Lori, um, he also starts to have dementia now. So this, this turns out, so it's not even the situation, 
he was confronted with and totally overloaded, but he also develops the dementia. Which and has to be really, really hard to be having two parents now that you're told have dementia. Are you close distance wise? Fortunately, after around about 25 years living in the south of Germany, I know turned um, some months before I turned to uh, turn to the north of, of Germany, um, to Hamburg, where my parents live. So it's roundabout by car, let's say half an hour. But the, the I mean, the, the distance in kilometers is not that problem. It's, it's often the, your day-to-day -day work, your, all the meetings, all, all the stuff you have to do. And, and this was also very problematic for me, even if I meet um, a date with them, some, sometimes they, they do not open the door. They never react. Although I, I know they, they, they are there. We had an appointment. Um, they did not open the, the, uh, the door only after 10 minutes ring or calling them or all that stuff, uh, which also is due to the, the disease they have. So are they open to like giving you a key so that you can get into the apartment or because I know some families aren't comfortable in terms of yeah, sharing yeah. certain things. Yes, they gave me and two weeks later they asked me to give back. And in addition, four weeks later, they gave me again the key. And in addition, four weeks, they asked me to, to um, give them back the key. So this was even not that easy. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of, yeah, I would say on off relationship. It's due to the to the disease. Have you met with them at all in terms of getting legal paperwork in order? Because you know that can be a whole nother thing. And again, when there's resistance, yeah, it's really complicated. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, um, they they uh, made these legal papers in two thousand eight. Um, the the problem or the situation in Germany is. Uh, that um, you you may be asked by by the government whether you or a professional should take care of them. And I was I, I have to say I wasn't informed um, about the disease of my mother directly by my parents, but by government, because um, um, the the doctor of my parents. Um, started a um, let's say a request at, at the government mm -hmm. that they need some help. So and then I, I was in this machinery I will call it all the professions except me because I was wow. again I was I was was out of the blue I was not informed about I got a letter um, and was informed about this uh, this. Um, care situation and then I had a lot of calls, letters and so on and so forth and um, the situation in Germany is that there are quite a lot of dementia patients but there are only very few people from government who take care of that. Okay. So it's a bureaucratic problem. Oh wow. Wow. What has been for you the, the most emotional piece of, of dealing with all of this? I'm sure there's many. May I answer for three emotionals? Sure. Okay. 
should not be more than three. <laughs> okay, the, 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 um, there was one, let's see, let's, oh, oh, I will say, say it's, a, it's a kind of a story. Um, when I visit my parents, I was sitting with my, my mom on the balcony, it was, was a warm, sunny weather in September. And I thought, okay, today she has a quite good day. But then I, I tried to, to see whether my impression is true. And then I asked her some very, I would say easy questions. So, so starting with, uh, hey mom, do you know uh, what day we have today? And she said, oh, no, not really. And I said, okay, it's, it's not a problem, but do you know what, what day of the week we have today? And as I was visiting my parents, more or less every Sunday, it should be Sunday. And she even thought about that one minute, two minutes, and then she said, I'm, I'm not really sure, but it's not a problem, isn't it? And I said, sure, it's not a problem. I'm here and you do not have another appointment. So this may happen. And then I asked her some other questions, such as, um, do you know what season we have? And then I, I, I see, or I saw that she was looking around on the balcony, uh, looking for the weather, the temperature, um, the trees. And then she said, ah, it's not summer, isn't it? And I said, no, it's not really. Oh, then it, it, it must be somewhat later. And I said, yes, you're true. And then I asked her, uh, by the way, um, do you know the name of the street we're living in? And again, she was thinking about, looking at me, thinking longer. And then she said, I'm, I'm not really sure. And I said, oh, it's not a problem. I'm, I'm not, not sure. So don't be angry. It's, it's really, it's not a problem. Uh, and you have to know that my parents are living in the street for more than 50 years now. Okay. And then I asked, do you know the name of my oldest son? And then again, she was looking at me. And then she said, do you really have children? So that after, uh, I think we are six, seven questions. Um, suddenly, I really start to cry. And to be honest, I cannot remember when I cried the last time for 10, 15, 15 years. And I even don't know when and why. And then she asked me, what, what is crying? What are you crying? Um, and then I told her that for me, it's so, so hard to see that she is not oriented whether in time nor in location. And then she said, you do not need to cry. I'm, I'm not unhappy, I, I feel well. And everything will be fine. And so let's say that the contrast between what is fact and what, what she feels, it was, it was a kind of bizarre, I think. Mm -hmm. And okay, then um, it was a very nice afternoon after that, but this was very, very emotional.
Yes, and the, the, the second emotional point was um, some weeks um, ago, when it turns out, as I mentioned before, that my father also has dementia. And as I said before, it was not that easy to accept that my mother has mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. <clears throat> but then suddenly the diagnosis of my father, which I thought would be much more easier to accept because I was kind of trained by my mother's dementia, mm -hmm. but it was not. It was somewhat harder, I thought. And I even thought at that time to stop my, my book project. And I started the book project just to, to write down these anecdotes, these stories, just to cope a little bit with the situation. But at that time, I really, really thought to skip that. But obviously, I did not. Which is good. You know, with both of those situations, it's, it is hard to accept. Um, but what I loved with your mom was she said, it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm okay. And I think that's what all of us as care partners have to get is we have to get out of our head and our yes. loss. And, and that, that took me a long time. You know, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years and I came up with a tool called your memory chip. And I decided I had to put her first before any of my to-do lists or any of my visits. And it was it really exactly what your mom was saying. And I had to focus on, was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain-free? Those were my objectives, you know, to kind of just make sure that she was okay versus getting things done, you know, doing those tasks, which are, are busy work and stuff for us. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's um, thinking differently. Mm -hmm. um, um, it, it is totally different when you are a, a medical doctor. You're not in the center. You're just around the patient. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, I was with my mother and I'm, I'm now with my father. For some reasons, it turns out that that sometimes I was in the center, whereas my, my parents, parents should. And again, this is what, what I meant with stepping out, looking from outside into the situation, just mm -hmm. focusing on, on my parents. And yes, um, I, I, I think it's, um, so what, what I tried to, to do when, when I visiting them was to, let's say we had three hours time together. I or we had one hour to discuss and to talk about all the things which have to be done, which need to be um, forwarded, mm -hmm. all that stuff. So the musts. But the other two hours, we just had, had fun. We just talked about whatsoever. And we were laughing. Um, sometimes we were laughing without any reason. I mean, that there was good reason not to laugh, um, but having a good time. And this is something I really learned again, <clears throat> that for them, as for me, have a good time is the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think so often as family members, we give up the laughter and the fun because we take disease so seriously. And, and we give that over to our relationship. And yet, Laughter, uh, you know, 
I haven't met anybody who doesn't like to laugh, who doesn't appreciate having a good time because you're just, you're, you're relaxed and you're present in the moment. I mean, there, there's so many benefits to, you know, physically um, and physiology wise to laughing, you know, the, the chemistry changes um, and there's, you know, creates memories, which are all emotional. And yeah. so those are good things to be able to draw on. I wanted to also mention, you know, when you thought, when you said to yourself, I thought it would be easier with dad accepting his, but then it's really kind of a double whammy. So you're dealing with your mom, but you still have your dad to kind of rationalize and evaluate what's going on. And now you don't, yeah. now you don't have that springboard anymore. And I think that that's very common for families who, you know, get hit twice by that. It's like, well, yeah. I should have a handle on this. It should be, it should be easier. I, I know the process, but it's still loss. Um, yeah. It's still loss. And there, there's grieving that has to be um, done. And we all grieve differently and it hits us at different times. And I know um, Pauline, I don't know if you're familiar with Pauline Boss, but she's very well known here in the States. And she's got a book about ambiguous loss. And I interviewed her, I want to say last summer, last fall. And she said, you know, we always thought there were these set stages to grief. And she says, we're all coming to realize that grief never goes away. It yeah. changes and it ebbs and flows. And so, um, you know, people are kind of looking for an out of when am I going to get over this? And, you know, my dad's been gone since 2001. My mom's been gone since 2015 and I still grieve for them. I still miss them, but I also was able to like you create some wonderful memories and stories of laughter. And I've learned that, you know, you can't have great grief without first having great love. And that is a gift many people never experience. And so that kind of helps bring me out of the hole sometimes when I'm, when I'm getting down is to remember those moments of laughter and fun and joy, or, or maybe just silence, just sitting in the presence of somebody you feel safe with um, and comfortable. Those are, those are magnificent things. Um, yeah. that shouldn't be undervalued. So yeah. I think those were really good points to make out. You said you had a third example, and if you have more, feel free. That's fine. too. <laughs> yes. Um, this was also uh, may I just just come back to to your to your comments on, on on laughing do you know that children so young children love about 200 up to 400 times a day mm -hmm. so quite often and as older we we become as as less we are we are laughing and let's say um, um, people in, in the age of 60, they only love 15 to 20 times a day. It's not, at the end, I can tell you that that's not often enough. And, and when I were at my parents, I, I didn't count it, but my, my feeling was, it was more than double the 20, it was 40 times or more. And then I, I, I also, and this is also part of my book, I went into what, what do we know by science about laughing, all the effects, what you can measure, the serotonin, and so on and so forth. And what, what happens with all the hormones if we suffer? 
And this is, yes, almost all in medicine, it's not fully understood. It's not understood, but it's a little bit understood. So we can measure something and we have some um, hypotheses. Um, but what is quite interesting are the effects if you're laughing. I mean, not what you can measure um, chemically, but what you can see. And even you think that if you're laughing, I mean, a real laugh, not just a little bit, just really laughing, all your body, all I, I think it's more than 200 muscles, are working. Yeah? So it's, it's, it's really kind of a training. You feel good. And then I was looking, again, from a scientific perspective, uh, what's about all these laughing therapies? Mm -hmm. uh, there are quite a lot, but at the end, there's not good scientific basis for that. It's, it's relatively poor. And interestingly, there's not one, even not one paper on the effects of love by Alzheimer's. So there were quite a, it's quite often documented, but it's not established as a therapy. Again, mm -hmm. just, just coming from my, from my point, um, this is quite interesting because I think if you, uh, if you use it, I mean, not, not laughing just for laughing, but coming into situations where you, you laugh. This mm -hmm. is quite a, quite a good therapy for all involved. Yeah, I had one colleague um, years ago that said we should really measure by smiles. You Absolutely, know? totally agree. And happiness, and, and we don't do that. We dig deeper and have to look for more. And I love, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the movie Alive Inside. Um, yes, yes. But talks about how music just makes people peaceful and happy and more engaged and what I find incredible with that is it's not just dementia, but schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress, all kinds of, and just regular people, it, it, how it affects not only them, but the people around them as well. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you laughed because somebody you don't even know is just busting a gut and they can't stop laughing and it, it just gets contagious and yet it feels funny and someone will say what are you laughing about I don't know but it still feels really good you know to laugh like that and then that makes it almost funnier you know <laughs> and you laugh yeah, even abs more. absolutely and it's a fit which, which lasts quite quite a lot mm -hmm. so it, it's 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 lasted for a period so it's not even laughing in the situation let's say 10 minutes later the other say can you remember 10 minutes ago what we laughing and you're laughing again? Yep. And if you remember on the evening about all the situations or all the fun you, you laugh about, it again works. And I, I, was, I was really surprised that, again, this is not an established treatment in Alzheimer's. Um, and especially in Germany, uh, laugh therapy is not really established. There are quite a lot of countries where it's totally different, mm -hmm. but in Germany, it's 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 not. It's it's very poor. It's, it's it's again, it's not really established. There's a lot of um, laughter yoga people that are yeah. out there, and um, mm -hmm. you know, I participated in some of those groups, and people go, ah, oh, you know, it's a forced laugh, and it is in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, it's just not. You know, it's just funny and it's fun and you can 
Um, and I've seen this done, of course, with people with dementia and the eye contact that wasn't there before is now very easy for them to engage and, you know, the different motions that might be happening. It's, it's kind of magical to watch, you know, with that. Why do you, why do you think we don't have laughter, you know, as a prescription or music as a prescription um, in terms of therapy? I will tell you, I, I do not understand. Mm -hmm. uh, because why it's um, quite often you are, uh, uh, I do not fully understand. There might be quite a lot of answers, hypotheses, comments. Um, so um, just starting with what is so problematic in, in clinical trials? Often it's the, the measurement of the endpoint. Um, without any doubt, as you said, counting smiles a day over a period from the start to three months later. It's so easy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just count it, count it. Um, it's a cheap, it's a, it's a totally cheap treatment. It doesn't cost you anything except time, which might be very expensive, but it's time. It's not, not mine. And you have to do it standardized. Um, and what, what I see is, this might be another reason. Perhaps we we aim for our targets for treating Alzheimer are too high. Mm -hmm. um, quite often, people say, "Oh, we need a we need a treatment um, to stop progress." We said to to not starting the the, the disease or, or whatsoever. But at the end, I think um, we we also at least at, at this point in time come too late with early intervention. Because when we see or when, when Alzheimer's diagnosed, it might be 10 to 15 years ago when it started with all these molecular changes. And this might be something for the future. And I think there's also some, some good evidence that we might have some of these tailored drugs in 10, 15 years. But what we can do now in particular, if you look what these drugs we have available now are effective or are not, or have side effects without having a good efficacy, um, what we're looking is symptomatic treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what, what should we better do than making the people feel good with laughing? I think it, it should, I think we should think differently. Yep. It should be more innovative, not, not only um, or, or starting from scratch, really starting from scratch, having a hypothesis which has already been proven by daily life experience, and then put it on the scientific base. Well, I think it's interesting when you talked about you know, the expense, and yet the expense could be time. Yet you look at the expense the drug companies have in terms of developing these drugs. I mean, millions and sometimes billions of dollars. Yeah, on this. Can, yeah. And, if, have, yeah. and if we I, I, took those funds and trained our staff to, yeah. you know, maybe count smiles, you know, it's a double whammy because, you know, yeah, it's taking time, but if we invested it in education, and did a trial in terms of looking at our collateral a little bit differently, 
We're going to build on relationships. Um, everybody's going to learn this technique. We're going to slow things down. We're going to stop thinking that there's a magic bullet that's going to fix everything. And we continue on with this fast paced life when we ignore human need out there. And, you know, especially through COVID, we've seen the impact multiplied by isolation and disconnection and people, you know, lacking in purpose. All of that goes away through laughter. I mean, you know, when you're doing this together, you're getting rid of the isolation, you're getting rid of not feeling purposeful or not feeling connected. And, you know, I talk with a lot of people living with dementia and they say, you know, those that are advocates and, and really out there that they've never felt as purposeful in their life as they do now living with this disease. And they're grateful. It's which sounds really backwards for having the disease, but it's opened the door to many people they wouldn't have met, relationships they wouldn't have had, being able to help others and feel like this disease is not for anything. And so, you know, I would love to see the expansion of research on social connection and really changing the, the physiology um, within people. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Lori. And, um... I mean, as, as already mentioned, I, I worked for pharma and biotech industry. Mm -hmm. And I worked for um, research and development. Then I changed into, into drug safety, what we call pharmacovigilance. So I think I have quite a lot of experience about this business. Mm -hmm. And um, to be honest, it's a business. So if a company tried to develop a new drug, this is... On one hand, to do something good without any doubt, otherwise you can make another business, but you want to earn some money. You have to. I mean, for, for several reasons. This is our, our system. And um, to be honest, you will not ever earn quite a lot of money with laughing. Laughing is for free, except the time. So for free doesn't mean, mean money. You know, it, it's free, but there could be, there could be educational programs granted, not near to the $56,000, you know, for treatment that this new med came out. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I look at even like with Alive Inside, you know, people had talked, just think if we could prescribe an iPad and getting that loaded, that would be under a hundred dollars probably. I totally agree with you. I just I just uh, stated what the current situation is. Yep, yep. So, and to, 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 to get money, there are quite a, 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 quite a lot of different parts where, where you can get it. Mm -hmm. So from government, from societies, and so on and so forth. Um, and even if you can say, okay, we can earn some money or we can do it for free, but it has to be paid. Mm -hmm. So again, we, we are at a stage where we should think differently without uh, not keeping in mind that we need money. Mm -hmm. But again, yeah. this is, this is, unfortunately, this is still innovative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's 2022. And we know since, I mean, in, in the, the old Greeks, in, they know about the positive effects of laughing. I mean, and now, as mentioned, it's 2022. And we still do not apply systematically. Although we know that. 
Yep. I just think too, in terms of, and, and I understand the state, I understand, um, you know, the people lobbying, you know, for the, for the pharmas and, and all of that. And I would like nothing better for this to go away, you know, so mm-hmm. I get that. But when you have something that works like music and laughter, um, building relationships, those could all be programs that could be prescribed through the doctor's office. Cause right now they don't get anything. You know, people get pushed out the door unless it's different where you are, but people all over the world tell me they get a prescription, they get another appointment, and they're told to get their affairs in order. And if there were support services that wouldn't require near the cost factor to develop and set up those programs, you know, it's a win, it could be a win-win on a lot of levels. Um, I I took, yeah. Sorry, I, I totally agree with you. Um, but if you, if you say it's, although it's quite an old knowledge we have, mm-hmm. it's still innovative. Yep. So who would be the, the payers in this system? Mm-hmm. The government, and in particular, in, in these times of pandemia, uh, we uh, they, they spent quite a lot of billions and billions and billions, for example, for testing of COVID, in Germany, it's around about 1.5 billion euros per week in Germany is paid for testing. Wow. 1.5 billion. And so it's it's not a matter of having money, it's it's a question of priorities and where yep. you put the money in. And if we say innovative, innovative means also flexible. Um, to be honest, governments are not really flexible. Because flexibility means um, acting differently in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then with the, the great insurance companies, they also have to think differently. And again, they are also very bureaucratic. They need to earn some money. And so at, at the end, what, what we really need are people, if I will call them influencers, although I do not mean what the rest of the world means with influence. What I mean is, is persons who are prominent, who take care for others, and um, people in the rest of the world will at least listen to that. Mm-hmm. So if we have people such as that, um, we could speed up better than now. I'm totally yeah. sure. I agree. What do you expect for the future of Alzheimer's disease and dementia? Okay. Um, yes. I, I mean, um, first of all, which is what, what is very clear is that the, the amount of patients will increase dramatically mm-hmm. within a relatively short period of time. So according to um, studies I have seen, um, it will almost double um, worldwide um, will be the 2050 roundabout 146 millions worldwide, which is quite a lot. Uh, the costs will increase without any doubt. Um, but at the end, we, we um, so again, what, what I hope is what we talked about that thinking and strategies will change. Mm-hmm. What I expect, and this is coming again from, from 
biological and chemistry um, perspective of development. What I really expect is that we will have within the next 10 to 15 years um, yeah, tailored drugs because it becomes more and more obvious that Alzheimer is not one form of Alzheimer, but a lot of different diseases mm -hmm. which now are summarized as Alzheimer's. And if we are able to identify that by science, if we are able to apply test systems very early, let's say if we make um, search as a standard in people 60 years, just to identify very early whether they may have Alzheimer or not, this will be a good thing. We will have a fair chance to to decrease numbers mm -hmm. of, of Alzheimer patients. I don't know. I don't know whether this will be a big decrease, but it will one. But what I really hope, but I'm not really sure whether I expect it in the near future, is thinking differently. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, that even if, if people look on this video now and about our discussion and what what is consensus between um, us, I think quite a lot of other people, that laughing is a very good therapy. Accepting and laughing, even suffering, I think even suffering is very important because again, it's also very emotional and you may remember later. Yeah, and not, you, you remember as, as well as for funny things. Mm -hmm. So just expectations, we will um, increase science with good efforts and good success. And hopefully we will change the, let's say, environment for more innovative and more social aspects of therapy. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of the things you were talking about was the numbers, you know, are going to go through the roof. And yet we don't really even have the equation of how COVID is going to affect that, where we know COVID... Yes. Uh, and so that's going to be really interesting to watch in the future yes. as well. Um, this is also one. This is also one aspect in, in my in my book. And um, at least we have seen this in Germany. I don't know how the situation is in the U.S. Due to these uh, measures and closed downs, mm -hmm. um, uh, old people, in particular Alzheimer's patients, were not allowed to have visitors. For a long period of time. Yeah. So it, it was like in jail. And what we have seen here by good studies now is that in the last two years, there's a big progress in patients having Alzheimer's. So the, the let's see the speed of progress seems to be higher than, than before pandemia, mm -hmm. which might have some some viral associations or whatever. But I think it's also a social aspect. Yep. Yep. I agree. I'm almost sure. Yeah, we're, we're, we see the same thing. I've heard that all around the world with, um, you know, the isolation. And, you know, it's been, it's been hard not only for those um, diagnosed, but staff as well. And, I mean, that the whole staffing issue is, you know, a crisis pretty much all over the world, which is making yeah. things even more difficult. So, you know, we have to get back to, in my opinion, this human compassionate side. And, 
um, deal with the reality of being human and what that means and what we want that to look like because you and I could be next. So could our listeners with this disease. And we have to give thought to how do we want to be treated? How do we want to live our life if that disease would hit us? You know, this isn't about other people. This hits our families and it hits our friends and it has no boundaries. You really can't protect yourself against it. You know, you can, you can try real hard to eat right and exercise and do all the things that they say. Um, but again, there's no, there's no guarantee. So we have to look at a broader, a broader picture and the, um, the social aspect I think is um, just such a humane one and such a vital, vital piece for people to stay connected. So I loved when you were talking about, you know, you go visit your folks for three hours in one hour, you're working on the tasks that have to be done, yeah. but you make sure you have your time with them, that you're not losing your relationship. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. very, very important. Well, I appreciate you taking time with us today. Um, again, um, why don't you go ahead and let people know how they can purchase your book and how they can contact you? So at this point in time, my book is is um, available in German language mm-hmm. as an ebook on Amazon, but it will be translated within the next, let's say, two to three weeks into English, and then it will also be available as ebook and ebook and, and paperback um, again on Amazon. Okay. Wonderful. Just a, a brief comment, and this is also something I stated in my book. Um, I think it, it turns a little bit out that commerce or commercial is not everything for me. It's just, it just that you need some money for projects. Mm-hmm. And what I propose is that from all the, um, the money this, this book will make, I will spend 30% for Alzheimer's the Alzheimer societies, and also for, well, it's something totally different, but I'm a really fan of, uh, is Doctors Without Borders. So I I will not make any money out of it. And the remaining I will make for my, or will use for my own Alzheimer projects. There are some ideas I have where I unfortunately need some money at the beginning, and then it will pay out. And will be for and will follow the same, the same concept. All the money which comes in, thirty percent will go into other projects. Wonderful! I love that. So we, you know, we'll never have enough projects out there. You know, testing the system and and everybody needs something different. You know, there's the same when you've met one person with dementia, you've met one. Same with care partners. We all. We're all coming from a different space and time, and and that can change as well. So we need, we all need as much help as possible with this. We also have listed his contact information for LinkedIn and his email. You know, so feel free to reach out to uh, him with that as well. And again, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for caring so well for your your folks and sharing your experience with us. Really appreciate it very much. Loris, what really pressure. It was fun and we also laughed a little bit. That's Didn't right. <laughs> okay. We sure did. We sure did. To our listeners, I hope you um, enjoyed this show. Please like, click, and share. Don't, don't keep this information a secret. Check out his book and get it in German right now, but in a few weeks it will be available in English. 
on Amazon as well. So until next time, thank you, everyone. Have a blessed week. Bye. Bye Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.